Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. thinking that we should really have had our names like Neville Dean Taylor because I do Neville Dean slash Taylor but with the same surname so that would make us the Steel Brothers or just Steel slash Steel I guess so but uh, no we're just Harry and Rory yes (laughs) back again another film set in the near future I think the film puts it as some years from this exact moment so at time of release, it was 2009, so mm-hmm. it was some years from that exact moment, but I guess watching it now in 2020, it's still some years from that exact moment. Or have the years caught up with us? Are we now living in this world that it depicts with all our social media and spying? Really... And... I mean, our podcast listeners are now are listening to it X amount of time from this exact moment. And then this bit you're listening to is a little bit further away from... This is that moment. It's the same amount because the moments are moving. It's so mind-blowing. Anyway, this is Gamer. We're talking yes. about Gamer. Gamer, the 2009 Neville Dean slash Taylor film. Mm-hmm. One day I'd like to do a film set just the present day, a drama. Not, I, mean, <laughs> I was just thinking, we, our last film was Double Dragon, which is set post-2000s Big Quake. Then we did, uh, what, Star Wars before that, which was a long time ago. No, we did Jumanji in between then, which is... Present day. Present day, but it's set in Jumanji time as well, <laughs> whenever that is. I just want to have it. Are any video game movies just dramas? Mm, not really. <laughs> Let's see. Well, I don't know. We'll have to... We'll find out we'll eventually, find out. I think. This film is another one of those films not based on any one particular game, but it's more of a, a melting pot, an amalgamation of video game uh, licks and tricks. Um, and where, well, there's not much then to talk about in terms of what this film is based on. As, as connoisseurs of the crank films, mm-hmm. there's a bit to talk about in relation to the directors. So as I read this film by Neville Dean Taylor... Uh, the pair of directors. This was this this was filmed was this filmed before Crank Two? I think it was, but it was released afterwards. I think it was uh, Crank Two was released in two thousand and nine, the same year as this film. But Gamer was the bigger budget movie, and you know, with more producers on board, studio mm. involvement, and such. So perhaps was filmed. Somewhere in between. Yeah, no, I'm right. I'm looking at the the ever trustworthy and reliable IMDb trivia section, which says that uh, Neville Dean Taylor filmed this before Crank Two, but it was um, both films came out the same year, as you say. It also says Jared Butler didn't want to see his name in the credits after seeing the original cut of Gamer, but um, again, no source here. Five out of five people found that interesting, though. Yeah, How but you... whether they found it. Factually accurate is another thing. How do you even register interest? Interest. I'm going to 
six out of six people now find it interesting, thanks to me. Wow. Yeah, so, uh, well, let's talk about Crank and Crank 2 by that token a little bit, because uh, those movies, it, it has Jason Statham, of course, playing the character Chev Chelios, mm-hmm. and he is a hitman-type dude, but he is actually posing, at least his role, at least his cover to his girlfriend, is that he is a video games developer. I think he mentions, mm. I'm not a video games developer like you think I what I am. Um, that was Jason Statham there. Um, <laughs> I know, he just dips out for that one little bit. And the mechanics of Crank, he has been injected with poison, and if his adrenaline drops a certain level, then he dies. Uh, and then in Crank 2, he needs to constantly electrocute himself in order to keep his false heart from reactivating. These sound like shows you'll see in the future on ITV, yeah. perhaps. Tipping point the extreme edition the drop dead (laughs) um so it plays around with mechanics which i guess has a similar idea to some video games like having these kind of i don't know the the way it's sort of put together definitely feels like a a video game and even at the end of uh, crank one i think it has sort of pixelated graphics and stuff mm. saying continue etc it felt very much well, thematically like a video game it felt i mean i got a very grand theft auto vibe off uh, both movies because it's very much just running in between vehicles and causing all sorts of nuisance yeah and and the, the director and the directorial style is is as in your face as you can get really i mm. remember th- i remember considering the crank films as a kind of avant-garde version of action cinema where it's very digital, everything's been thrown at you all at once. It's just the, the first... way it's sort of like broken and edited and mm. re-put together. I think the sequel was shot, one of the earlier films shot on like really disposable like DSLRs. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't really care if a camera got destroyed making him. Yeah. Um, which is kind of crazy. But... And it, it sort of shows because you see footage of the directors themselves on rollerblades and things, filming people down the streets and, um, yeah, doing everything handycam style so they can really kind of thrust whatever they want to thrust in your face as much as possible. Yeah, and those films, they feature a lot of thrusting. Yes. Yes, they um, do. Because, I mean, we're singing the praises of these guys. I do appreciate them in their, as you say, kind of, no, pulling no punches, avant-garde kind of way, but can't you can't escape the fact that their films are kind of grubby at the same time, and uh, they're kind of they are kind of super duper offensive in a lot of ways. But I just it again I've, I mentioned them in our last episode. It just reminds me of that kind of grindhouse trauma kind of way of filmmaking, which you might not like, but I could sort of respect. I think. Ultimately, they're not trying to... They're not trying to offend for... Hmm. <laughs> you, I was going to say, they're not trying to offend for a fender state, but I think they kind of are. But I don't think this done maliciously. I think... I think... Well, it's funny you mentioned trauma because Lloyd Kaufman mm. of Trauma Pictures, he pops up in this in a cameo as in he Gamer. does... Uh, in Gamer. as well as in Crank 2. Yeah. Um, and... I think you're, the way you mentioned GTA in terms of 
the sort of style, I suppose, of Crank, um, and to an extent this film as well. Uh, I think it's also uh, in terms of the tone and the humour, because I think GTA very much creates a world which is sort of a semi-parody of, mm. you know, current life. So you have lots of kind of... High Yeah, you have jokes about uh, celebrity and vanity of uh, celebs and commercialization and companies and corporations and, you know, playing in this sort of um, world where everything is a little bit offensive. And I think... It's not so much that the films are like, let's do this because it will offend people. It's more wallowing in this world of offence that they've created. Mm. And it's like... Uh, yeah. Depravity. It's a, depra- it's, it's a world it's society, of depravity. It's a world of depravity. Society is, is morally depraved. Yes. And it was funny. I mean, the premise of Gamer, which uh, we'll get into in a bit more detail, though I don't know how much detail there really is. But, you know, it's a society where people are effectively being forced to play video games and then die for entertainment and sport. And, and you know, future sport is a, a trope of of sci-fi movies. And um, But I think they do successfully create a world where things are so shitty that you can believe people watching this. Yeah, I, I think it's any kind of uh, criticism of the offensive stuff in their films I can completely understand and I wouldn't ever sort of fight anyone against it if it's not your bag I completely get it and you know valid points may be made by these things and I I haven't played much of um, GTA in a while but it's one of those things where oh just because it's making fun of this stuff it's still wallowing in this satirical muck and it's just whether you really want to, you know, be in that sort of world, which is deliberately trying to be unpleasant and deliberately trying... It's not like... Provocative, I think, yeah. is, the way, is, the, is the cineastic way of saying it. I'm not trying to say, like, ooh, triggered because you found this offensive and stuff like that. I think it's 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 more about just whether you actually want to be <laughs> in that realm and whether you want to just, like, I'm gonna just be in this realm where everyone is vain, everyone is mean, everyone is cruel, everyone says disgusting things to each other, and that might be just how the world is, and I'm just (laughs) living in my bubble, but... I think there was a few times in this film where the first time in this podcast, I kind of wanted to stop watching. (laughs) It definitely does leave you with... And I'd say that even with the crank films, which I... do like a lot. I think the first one in particular, I really, really think mm-hmm. is something very special, but it definitely leaves you with a, I'd like to wash myself after watching kind of feel. And to an extent, I think um, this film also is in keeping with their past form. I will say because, um, well, just as a sort of side note, I always remember that when Crank High Voltage was being reviewed on Radio 5. Andrew Collins, yeah. the film critic, was um, in place, I think, of uh, Mark Kermode at that time. And he actually walked out of Crank 2. Oh, that's bad. Which I think is bad form. Mm-hmm. I think it's very poor form for a film critic to do so. 
and I've never really liked Andrew Collins. Arthur. Um, I didn't know that. I've taken... Sorry, Andrew. But he walked out at the moment when the uh, topless nightclub was being shot out and a woman gets shot in the boob and her breast implant punctures and leaks everywhere while she's screaming. I thought that was hilarious, though. <laughs> it's, um, I, like, it's one of those things where, like, written down, that sounds horrible. <laughs> in the film, it's in horrible. In the film, it's horrible, but... Yeah, it's, it's one so of those, over the top. It's one of those th- yeah, it's one of those things where their gags are sort of like horrifying if you think about it, and it's very over the top. But everything in those films is at that same level. It's not like oh, this very nice film, and then that happens. It's horrific. It's just I don't know. I I'm not trying to defend the stuff they do because mm. they can defend themselves and i think the work speaks for itself it doesn't require much explanation there is definitely thought going on it's not just done for lols and shots but if that's what you take from it i completely understand <laughs> well I, I wouldn't say this is a date movie though it's probably you, you, no it's um although, it's a gamble yeah although um one of the cast members alison loman yeah who plays the character trace um Married Mark Neville Dean in 2009. Oh, wow. So I don't know if they met on this film and that's how they got together. And very cute and lovely that something nice, I suppose, came out of it. (laughs) Something pure, like marriage. Mm. You know, la-da-da. So I guess she saw something in it (laughs) as well. It probably helps that she is the, one of the most dressed characters in the film. Yeah, she's one of the few uh, female characters who, um, I suppose, isn't bearing their breasts all mm. the time. Yes. I mean, yes, maybe we should move on. But I, I did. I just I noticed that there's a, there's a lot of lady parts, but not many boy parts in this film. Well, if you go to the IMDb parents guide. Oh, my God. Under <laughs> sets and nudity. Uh, The first thing it says is, This movie contains almost constant female nudity, as many women are shown topless or wearing suggestive and erotic clothes that make their breasts and backsides very visible. Most of the nudity and set scenes are integrated through other sequences, and it's basically impossible to simply skip them, as they are pretty frequent and pervasive. It also notes, Three men are seen shirtless. There was some gratuitous shirtlessness. I mean, at the end, Michael C. Hall engages in a fight and takes his top off for no really good reason. Apart from just to add to the shirtless count. mm, There were six good reasons on his abs. (laughs) That was it, really. They call it a game. Slayers gives the gamer full control of a human being in full-scale combat. But the players are real. Every one of our Slayers is a death row inmate. Stay alive for 30 sessions, you get set free. That's not a bad deal. Some try to beat the system. But no one has ever survived. Cable's a perfect soldier. He is what they want. 27 battles. That was ever done. That man was ever come that close. It ain't just a game. We're all slaves. Husband, he's due to be released soon. Your wife and your daughter need you. It's the only thing that keeps you alive. We know where she is. So I can beat them, not with you controlling me. You want to win? Turn me loose. Your 
pulling all the strings around here. I think if you do it, you're mine, boy. something you can control. So Gamer itself then, originally titled Game, uh, at one point also Citizen Game. This is a really good title. Which I think was maybe lending itself to sort of critical um, mm-hmm. <laughs> opinions, mm-hmm. you know, like what critics have. Uh, I think they also bandied about the title Game God as well because that's what they were seen as the inevitable trajectory of the main villain of the piece not quite lawnmower man it gives me a lawnmower man vibe yeah yeah yeah, but maybe playing around with that sort of um milieu but uh yeah so the film itself as i said was like a slightly bigger budget than their crank stuff 50 million budget roughly made around 40 million at the box office so not a sizable hit um i suppose i did actually see it in the cinema though oh my god (laughs) i run here i can imagine given the shaky cam of this film would it give you a headache did you give you a headache do you recall um i think a bit it was definitely like watching it on dvd now definitely you can see how seen on the big screen would be even more of an information overload because a lot of their style is very quick and zooming in and out and cuts and edits here they layer on even more stuff so you have the screen glitching from time to time it's almost like uh house of the dead when uber bowl just throws in zombies from the house of the dead video games to cut between sequences there's just lots and lots of um glitchy effects going on on top of this sort of everything thing, else. This, this sort of thing happened even in dialogue scenes at some points where the camera was going out of focus and zooming in. And um, I felt it worked sometimes and maybe not others because uh, I did get a headache watching this. <laughs> I actually re- reached for the paracetamol after after this film ended and they actually had to take a, a moment to just still my brain. Um yeah, but that doesn't necessarily reflect what I, what I thought about the film, but uh, it was it was pretty intense, and I'm glad it was only a 90 minute movie and not two hours. Shall we get into the film itself? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay, well, so it's rated 18, but it was bought. We both got copies on DVD for 50p, so that's a p- <laughs> 50 pence more towards that lost budget. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure they reap what uh, CEET sows. Yeah, exactly. Here, here is the plot on the back of the DVD. <clears throat> Jared Butler, 300, rock and roller, stars as Cable, condemned criminal and globally famous super soldier in the ultimate multiplayer game Slayers. Human controllers direct each thought and move of real-life prison inmates, battling in hyper-intense environments where the goal is freedom and the penalty is death. But when Cable suddenly decides he wants out, 
So it's a southerly decides? Uh, not that's not how the film does it. Okay, <laughs> slightly like idea, but he's just mm, you know what? <laughs> no, no, not anymore. Not anymore. Um, so when uh, Cable suddenly decides he wants out, his rebellion his rebellion threatens the twisted plans of game creator Ken Castle, Michael C. Hall, TV's Dexter, who will stop at nothing to crush the renegade commando in this taut, adrenaline-packed action thriller. Spoilers for Gamer. Spoilers for Gamer, yeah, we forgot about spoilers in the last episode. Spoilers. I mean, the first line of the movie, spoken, is, I fucking teabagged ya. Um, Which is kind of all you need to know. (laughs) I found the action in this, it starts in a big, big sort of action, it starts in the game itself, like what the game is like. And immediately I'm thinking, how does it actually work? And it does sort of explain how somebody is is controlling his eye and he controls the motion. But I still still don't know exactly how that really works. It seems a little bit loosey-goosey, a little bit vague. I spent the whole film... People keep praising Cable as being the best slayer or the best player in the game. But he's been controlled. So what really makes him special? And then he's been controlled by this 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 kid called Simon, who's seventeen years old, and and he's pretty scummy as well. He's uh lives in this CGI virtual reality room, which reminded me of um fifteen million merits from Black Mirror. Yeah, I mean, this felt like a dumb Black Mirror episode, which <laughs> I kind of mean as a compliment because it is, has got thought has got thoughts. It's thinking about things, but Simon. He's prepositioned by loads of other people who want to buy cable um, off him. At one point, two British twins appear and go, Do you want to see our tits, Simon? Their username is Cum Dumpsters. They, they are the Cum Dumpsters? Yes. Okay. With a Z. I mean, they're twins as well. It's like, their mum must be really proud of them. I mean, we're, we're, we're siblings, so imagine, what did you do this weekend? Oh, we were in the film. <laughs> um, we showed our tits and we were called Cum Dumpster 1 and Cum Dumpster 2 I don't know I'm, maybe I'm sounding super judgy I, I realise when we're talking about all this stuff no one's forced to do this not like the not, not like characters in, gamer. in the game <laughs> <laughs> no but um, but yes this like there's, this other, there's other, the other big game which is not even mentioned yet is Society which is The Sims which is basically doing whatever you want. It's not killing, it's just acting out. But a lot of it does seem to be a bit sexual and pervy and dirty. And again, it's this interesting... It is an interesting thing, isn't it? Where people do this as a job. Cable's wife in real life, she basically is employed to be one of these avatars. And she walks around wearing, you know, quote-unquote slutty clothes. Um, One of the costumes I noticed was Pris from Blade Runner which I found is a very interesting co- connection to, you know, if we're talking about artificial intelligence and art and, and who controls who, that was an interesting costume. But um, she just walks around being being a vessel for this uh, like disgusting man in an apartment um, called George, I think. I think in the, I think he's called Gorge. Gorge. And I, I, I feel sad for saying a disgusting man because that's me buying into the film's narrative where... You, you. If you are overweight, you are gross and disgusting, and uh, and are deserving of. You are automatically 
Abaddon. Yeah, it's like a, a shortcut to Slee's bag is having a, you know, a big overweight slob mm. stuffing food in his mouth uh, and doing sexy uh, simulated stuff. But that actor, of course, you know, agreed to be in the film to do that. And, and then that extends back to the characters being the avatars in society who are mostly jumping around showing their boobs and everything who again are actors who are happy to do this. Are you saying that the Hollywood film industry is similarly corrupt and exploitative? Shocking. I just, <laughs> I feel like I've just gone down the rabbit hole already talking because this, this film is about, it's about, about exploit- tits. <laughs> yeah, it's about tits, but also with that, it's about exploitation. And so it's about... Who's in control. Who's in control, and it's about, you know, abuse. First, there was society, the ultimate sim environment, where players don't control virtual animated characters, but actual living, breathing human beings. They walked them, they talked them, they juiced them, they rocked them. Rickety-dickety-doo. We had that on t-shirts back in 2010. The creation of reclusive genius Ken Castle. Who is Ken Castle? Society took the world by storm, becoming the number one guilty pleasure of billions. You can get paid to be controlled, or you can pay to control. And generating one of the world's largest private fortunes, surpassing Bill Gates practically overnight. (laughs) Nine months ago, Castle unveiled a new simulation, one that would take gaming to new heights of thrilling excess and controversy. Slayers. Slayers. If society let us live through others, Slayers would let us die through others. Slayers gives the gamer full control of a flesh and blood human being in full scale kill or be killed combat. And when we say flesh and blood, we mean flesh and blood. So with the two games, so there's this hotshot billionaire um, games developer technology expert um, called Ken Castle, mm-hmm. played by Michael C. Hall from Six Feet Under and Dexter, whose work I have enjoyed in those shows. I also saw him in Lazarus, the David Bowie stage musical thing, and he was very good in that. And... Again, talking about video game movie villains, I enjoyed his performance here because he's definitely playing up this uh, egocentric playboy know-it-all. He was making choices. He was making choices. I mean, without him, we might not have got Lex Luthor from from uh, Batman v Superman or Justice League, the Jesse Eisenberg version. Oh, okay. That is, um, again, extreme choices. Yeah, but, yeah. But um, I think more irritating than entertaining I feel. Okay. How do you feel? Well, I... uh, He's not sort of in it super massively. No. He's more sort of like on the sidelines and, you know, being the puppet master, as it were, to the plot. But, you know, it's not like sort of fun pantomime villain, but he's definitely sort of having a ball, and I guess I enjoyed Mm. that stuff. I mean, cutting right to the end, the the big finale is pretty much him dancing to Sammy Davis Jr. and singing I've Got You Under My Skin and singing while Jared Butler is fucking some people up. 
That was interesting. I mean... Yeah, he's sort of like controlling <laughs> these... Choreo- he's choreographing these brutes who are dancing along with him while clicking their fingers while also having a fist fight. <laughs> but, uh, he, but he's the designer of the game. Yeah, so his whole thing is basically uh, quite early on in the film, there's a TV interview being conducted um, with uh, Kara Sedgwick playing uh, this character Gina, who's doing the interview. Her boss is John Delancey. Star Trek's John Delancey, if you don't know, he plays Q. I think he was a newscaster in Crank 2. He was very, yep, he was a newscaster in that, so he's obviously chummy with the directors. Yeah. Probably our big time Star Trek fans. He's basically having this, uh, having this interview, and through that interview is explaining about his two big games. So one of them, as we've been talking about, is society. And as he said, it's like The Sims, Second Life, that kind of thing, and real life actors get paid to be controlled by gamers who pay to play as them. And as it turns out, most of that is like some sets mm-hmm. meets rave mm-hmm. meets kind of like... Doing I don't know. what you couldn't do in real life. But it's all done in this, um, like, the aesthetic and things. It's all sort of sickly, neon, mm. pop culture, slightly Harajuku-style Space Channel 5 meets... PVC rubber sets dungeon. Um, I think when we first see society in action, they're playing the Bloodhound Gang on the soundtrack, which Mm -hmm. is kind of all you really need to know about how it is. So there's that game, and players can pick certain real-life actors and then do all these things and interactions with them. And the other main game is Slayers, which, again, we're talking about sort of the rules of it. It's... Not 100% clear. We know that death row inmates, they are given the choice that if they survive 30 games, Mm. they will get their freedom. And these games involve just lots of shooting and blowing up and they have to reach a save point. It's a bit unclear who's shooting who and whether everyone is being controlled by Yeah, who the enemies are. Because there are sort of, I guess, NPCs, but there's like these, um, I guess, dud characters who are walking around and they're not necessarily death row inmates but i think if they survive one session they get their freedom too because they mm-hmm. can't get controlled they're just doddering about and sort of walking into walls and they are literally human targets yeah pretty much this game is yeah takes a sort of cues from call of duty and you know that's where you get a lot of the game mechanics in there so there's like save points there's the tea bagging as you <laughs> as you mentioned you know, they talk later on about the ping, which is the delay between the player and the slayer in in Slayers. You know, talking about lag, etc. They can buy upgrades and all this kind of stuff for their player characters. And I guess the reason why Cable is successful is not just because of Simon, who's controlling him, but I guess because he's, like, strong and tough and hard. And I guess if you win enough battles, then you get all the upgrades. So that's why he's, like, an enticing prospect, because... Cable, Gerard Butler's character, is a four battles away from freedom mm. at the start of the movie. He needs 30 in order to become free. I've got questions. Yeah, okay. That's, <laughs> because that's um, I, uh, just before Michael C. Hall explained how this worked um, to Gina in her talk show, I was asking, like, how is this even allowed? I mean, it quickly did present that these are death row inmates 
and the profits from slayers go into the prison system. So, so from a governmental perspective, it's quite attractive because they are getting money to put in prison people who want to stay in prison. And everyone on death row, well, hey, they were going to die anyway. So they've got a shot at not dying. But there's still a part of me which thinks if, if, if a man's on death row for like multiple murder... And then he manages to multiple murderize his way like, <laughs> to, to freedom. To freedom. <laughs> I feel he hasn't really learned his lesson. <laughs> I mean, I, I not... guess he's not been. I guess while he's the one pulling the trigger, there is an argument to be made that it's the player doing it. But, but that... the player is like creating. He's murdering people. Yeah, I, I guess it's 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 a real symbiotic relationship going on. I mean, you know how. Video games like Doom were blamed after school shootings and that's thrown out because it didn't actually tie up. They didn't actually have the game. But what if you did find somebody who was playing a video game which leads to the actual death of, of loads of people? Yeah, I, 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 I guess this film is making some sort of statement about the commercialization of violence or mm. something in that respect. The idea is... You know, like he explains away whether this is technically murder and Castle is saying, well, when was the last time you saw someone volunteer to be murdered? You know, so it's giving people freedom of choice, etc. to potentially get freedom or die by choosing to do so. But I'm not sure how much this film really cares about video game violence or movie violence. Mm. I think it's splashing around in that zone without... um, really caring a damn about yeah anything like that it's kind of tricky because we do cover a lot of films which have like nothing to say um <laughs> because um you know for example double dragon which we did the other time um other episode it could be too, you know it's got gangs in it. it could be talking about what it's like to be in a gang and and what creates gangs but uh no it's just it's just background and this film is splashing around as you say, in these ideas, but I don't think it's necessarily interested in discussing these ideas. It's just sort of playing with the ideas. But I, I still give it credit for even bothering about that, even bothering to think about that. I, th- I think it has, maybe it's not so much like um, saying important things, but more like it, it, it does well to, considering this film is now... 10 11 years old oh, i think God, i couldn't believe it, it was yeah 2009 jeez but considering that i think it's not so much like oh it managed to see where the world is going and therefore it's prescient but i think it has picked up on the right trends which were emerging mm. at the time i think the character of simon um played by logan lerman i think He's very much like the celebrity Twitch streamers you yeah. get nowadays. He's very much your ninjas playing Fortnite, etc. The fact that he's like successful and everyone wants to know him and, you know, he's getting all these kind of sexy propositions or, or whatever. And when he ultimately loses that power or is revealed to have been cheating, he gets the sort of sadly all too familiar hate campaign. He gets cancelled, for he sure. totally gets cancelled. So I, I think... In a way, that's something which speaks to now as much as as much as anything. And you know, there's always going to be, you know, something set slightly in the future. There's going to be gaps of you know, or dead ends in which they think, oh, this will happen, or this will happen. And I don't think this film's necessarily like, 
oh yeah, everyone's going to be hooked up in nanotechnology and stuff. And while there's lots to be said about, oh, your smartphone is monitoring everything you do and, you know, we're willingly subscribing to your Alexas and your series, listening to everything all the time and we're basically giving our rights away willingly because it gives us easy access to Google Maps or podcasts. Um, it's just messing around, you know, it's it's using those kind of ideas to create a dirty, gritty action film to an extent, but at least it's doing something. I don't feel like those aspects of the film are mere set dressing. I think that's the whole thrust of the story they wanted to tell. It's not necessarily doing anything particularly profound with it, mm. but I think it's nice enough to at least just have those themes running through it without necessarily being so on the nose about it. I guess the most on the nose thing is having Sweet Dreams <laughs> being covered by Marilyn Manson played not only at the start of the film, but during an action sequence through there, which, you know, by all means a great song, at least the original version. But, you know, as it's pretty on the nose when you <laughs> uh, just sort of needle drop it in here. You mentioned dirty and grubby and things, and... This is where I think it perhaps loses people because, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the, the action is, is pretty disorientating and I couldn't work out if I if I enjoyed that enough. As I say, the physical reaction is that I did get a headache watching it. <laughs> so there was that. A lot of the action, when it's set in the game world, you get the sort of pixelating sort of image distortion and... It made it look different. It made it look interesting. And you know, they used the same sort of camera techniques as they used in the Crank films. But sometimes, sometimes I thought it would be nice just to have the camera be a little bit settled. And I'm, I'm not the sort of person who, who poo-poos all shaky cam, don't get me wrong. But we were looking at some B-roll footage, some behind-the-scenes stuff, and sometimes it was quite nice to see hmm. a stunt in its full glory, mm. like a man, a burning man jumping off a, a an overpass into some boxes, <laughs> makes it seem kind of special. Makes yeah. me makes me want to set fire onto myself and jump into some boxes. I think that's the thing because what Neldine Taylor liked to do is just overload you with imagery. So it's not just here's the action sequence and we're gonna shoot this in a frenetic style, but they will just be like. And we're going to set a motorcycle rider on fire with a flamethrower and follow them. Or suddenly a man with half a face exploded off will just appear. And we'll linger on that for a second and then move to something else. Usually, I think, case in point, they go to a rave um, yes. in society. And that is just like, here's a Newton's cradle filled with topless ladies going mm. back and forth and here's uh, UV blood splatter on the dance floor and here's... Um... Yeah, but I mean, that that still has... I liked that sort of imagery. of As you say, you see split seconds of really impressive stuff and I, I think they are visual filmmakers and I think, as, you know, we see a lot of films where they just point a camera at actors and just let them do their thing. But... Um, but like I said, the, yeah, so you get the good stuff, but there's just so much noise about it. Mm. I think it sometimes gets a bit hard to appreciate the good stuff. Yeah, okay. So the main character is Cable, Cable with a K, mm -hmm. who, and I wrote a note, 
he's there for a crime. He's on death row, obviously. Did he commit it? Um, we and I thought I wrote down here. I bet he didn't commit it, and yeah, it does turn out he was mind controlled to commit that evil crime. I guess he technically did. Yeah, but it's one of those grey areas. The the Slayer. Yeah. Player scenario. You know what? You see films like Jason Statham was in that Death Race movie. Um, not the original, which is freaking awesome. Um, you can't have... I wish we could just have a character on Death Row who had done it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want my my hero to be a real bastard. Yeah, how about someone who did actually kill someone and is trying to reform, but has mm. been forced to kill lots of people That'd be in the process. That'd be more interesting plot. Yes, yeah, so Cable, um, his real name is Tillman, and that's how he likes to be called, but he's known as Cable. He is on death row, and his wife, Angie, played by Amber Valletta, uh, she is trying to make ends meet and taking part as an avatar in society, while their daughter is in foster care, separated from them both. And he obviously wants to make his way to freedom and is doing pretty well in it. But um, at one point in his cell, uh, a picture of his daughter and his wife is is given to him by a strange voice who then jabs him with a little pen, I think, to take a blood sample, Mm -hmm. claiming it so she can get proof of um, her son i think or nephew being a fan of his and wants to get his signature plus i'll also take your dna while i'm at it not very convincing (laughs) but it's all a ruse because in doing so they can use his dna to help with the nanotechnology that's inside him you've mentioned nanotechnology a lot but you don't think you've actually explained the science i i i don't know whether (laughs) i need to or bottom line there are cells being created, nanocells created by Michael C. Hall. Yes. Or his character, Castle. And these cells replace your actual brain cells, or your actual DNA, so that you're okay. you can be controlled. Yes. So like-for-like replacement. Basically, in doing so now that they've used this DNA to help do some nano-wizardry behind the scenes, uh, so that he can actually communicate with his player, Simon. And the people who are doing this in order to try and break Castle's program is an underground revolutionary organization called Humans. With a Z. With a Z. Simon? Oh my god! It's really you! You like the software? Software? The walkie talkie player. You're the guy from the TV, the humans. That's right, baby. You think about what the brother said? To what brother do you refer? Cable wants the freedom to ass kick. Do shit his way. You gonna give it to him? You were listening? We see and hear everything that goes on inside the so-called game. There's one battle left. I think I can handle my own business. You're not hearing me. This is not something you can control. They gonna kill his ass, Simon. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. I just play games, man. That's right. It is a game. You want to win it, don't you? Yeah. Then you need to cut your strings, puppet master. No ping. You feel me? I do. I do feel you, my giant brother. Well, then let's rock, baby. You know you're dealing with people who are... I don't know. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I feel like this sort of 
trope with the characters with Zeds and, and, and that doesn't seem to be what actual video game people do. Am I right or am I wrong? Um, I don't know. What's your gamer tag? Um, well, I usually am only man who can now, mm-hmm. but then my Nintendo Switch doesn't have enough letters for only man who can. So, uh, I remember my earlier one, my earliest net handle was, uh, I think Mishap. Or oh, actually... Weren't you Hazard? I was Hazard, but That's I... got two Zs. <laughs> True. <laughs> but I actually realised my very first one was a reference from... Uh, Death Race 2000, Machine Gun Joe the Turbo, which yeah. has the most letters of any gamer <laughs> handle. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just, I don't know. It just seems a bit childish. <laughs> <laughs> but humans are led by Ludacris. Um, Not the real Ludacris. The real Ludacris himself. No, he's car- his, name, his character's name is, I think, Human's Leader. Yes, but the actor is Ludacris. Yes, I know the actor is Ludacris, but uh, his character name is Human's Brother. Yes. Who, so? All right. Yes. It's Who's actually, on first? In, in Ludacris uni- is on first. Yes, I just realised. In the in the film universe, Ludacris became the Human's Brother. He's basically a, <laughs> he's basically a shit Morpheus. He, uh, yeah, he took his Fast and the Furious money and then decided to set up a, an underground revolutionary organisation. Yeah, no one's talking about this. This a terrible <laughs> thing happening in wherever we are. Somewhere... Some years from this exact moment, yeah. apparently. Yeah, so the humans group, they're trying to overthrow Castle. They have given uh, Simon the ability to communicate with Cable, which I don't think is much help. <laughs> no, it's more of a distraction. Some of these plans people have are really nebulous. At one point, um, Jared Butler says for this for the humans to help him they need to get him drunk and ipso facto they provide him with a bottle of vodka and his plan his plan to escape the gamers game zone was to get drunk walk into a war zone stagger to a car and then piss and vomit into the car <laughs> which will give it the which will be like petroleum would get to car to start and i'm just like if what kind of madman comes out of that plan? The annoying thing is that it works. Yeah, do you think he... Like, I guess he might have been able to just stash the bottle... Stash the bottle you know, in his, like, body armour or something? Yeah, it would have been... You know, it would have been... He's used... got enough pockets. Yeah, if he just... Could I have some petroleum, please? Yeah. And he would have been given, like, a hip flask full of petroleum or something. Uh, I mean, the he's science not thinking doesn't straight. Add up. Maybe he just wanted a... A drink. Maybe. Anyway. It's just like, I want to escape using ethanol-powered piss, mm-hmm. but I also would like a sip of vodka before I um, before I potentially <laughs> die. Bizarre. So, so, so forward thinking and forward planning is not really the strong suit of this film. No, no. Uh, in terms of the other inmates who are also amongst Cable, um, Zoe Bell makes a brief appearance before her head pops open <laughs> uh, as... One of the other... I've forgotten that happened. Is she, like, from... Grindhouse? From Kill... Yeah, from Death Proof. Yeah, so now I remember Kill now. Bell it's funny so... how you just forget people's heads popping off. <laughs> I've seen that twice in the last 48 hours in different films. I was just trying to track them down. Yeah. We also have John Luigi Leguizamo mm. playing a character called Freak. Yeah, with two E's. Freak with two E's. You know what? I had no idea he was in this film and I was not surprised to see him. <laughs> he was popping up, doing, just being distracting. He reminded me of his character in Moulin Rouge when he's in, like a, a dwarf on his knees. To lose the trek? No, what? 
Isn't he playing the Toulouse? Oh, is he? I had. I, you know what? I've I've watched that film. I've never seen Moulin Rouge, I've but s- I thought he was playing Toulouse Lautrec. <laughs> Let's find out. Well, you know, I've seen Moulin Rouge a bunch of times, and and I think for a brief moment I enjoyed it, but now I hate it again. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just I found it incredibly distracting. We'll we'll obviously get to John Leguizamo. Uh, when we cover the Mario movie, but he just seems to crop up in all these films, like like John Wick, just being this. He pops up as a side character, as like a known thing, and then oftentimes he's making big choices, and uh, then he pisses off again. Yeah, well, he gets shot. He gets he gets <laughs> shot about halfway through the film, so he didn't last as long as I thought he would, to be no, honest. No, and I guess the substantial other inmate, the rival to Cable who's kind of put in there as a ringer by Castle because he does not want Cable to win because he knows things uh, which Castle doesn't want getting out. That is a character called Hackman, played by Terry Crews. Mm-hmm. Now, I really love Terry Crews. I mean, what's not to love about Terry Crews? He seems like such a big-hearted, lovely man. But um, the Terry Crews we get in Gamer is not that Terry Crews. So it was really odd to see him introduced as this sort of this grunting, sort of staring down the barrel of the camera sort of monster. He's first introduced as sort of Michael C. Hall's character is is having a look at him on, on a massive building-sized television, really. And he's just all sweat and, ag- and anger. And he doesn't change much throughout the course of the film. <laughs> but crucially, he's not controlled by anyone. That's the big thing, isn't it? He's a um, he's his free agent, as it were, because there's a bit of question over whether you know, he you, the, the best people are not being controlled. They don't have that delay, that ping you were telling me about. So um, I thought he was quite scary, quite menacing. Um, he's introduced stark naked in the sha- in the shadowy dresser room covered in blood because he's just killed someone and singing i got no strings from pinocchio <sighs> yeah and you know in that marvel movie age of ultron with the avengers they're marvel aren't they they use that to for, for ultron but i think this is better this was scary <laughs> he's sort of he's twisting his fingers towards the camera as well it's uh it's a beautiful rendition it is beautiful but uh he's really just a henchman sort of chasing Gerard Butler throughout the film, isn't he? Yeah. I guess one character I was waiting to see, and I didn't realise he had such a small role, was um, the character known as Rick Rape from Society. Uh, who is he played by? Uh, that's Milo Ventimiglia, who uh, we mentioned briefly as appearing at the start of Stay Alive, mm. um, but is probably best known for Heroes and This Is Us. And, and Peter Petrelli in Heroes. Yes. He, he was the lead in Pathology, which was produced by Neville Dean Taylor, so that possibly explains his presence here, because I'm not sure what else could possibly explain his presence or the presence of a character called Rick Rape? Hi, Nika. Oh, hi. Rick Rape, Rick right? Rick Rape, right? I thought you weren't allowed to come here anymore. <laughs> that was last month. I was a bad boy. <sighs> Are you still a bad boy? Are you still a bad boy? 
So, so here's the thing. I hadn't seen this film before today and I knew he played a character. I knew this character existed and I was actually... I thought he was going to be like a henchman. I thought he was going to be like Terry Crews' replacement when Terry Crews had not taken out Jared Butler. And so I was waiting to have this character show up and be a big part of the movie. And every time he said, hey, I'm Rick Rape, I'd sort of wince and be like, oh, God. And I was thinking about how you couldn't make this film today. I mean, this one feels more recent than 10 years old. Yeah. But I was thinking no actor worth their salt now, even for a joke, would be that character name. No. But, but, in the context of this film, because he's a... Rick Rape is another avatar in the game society. In this horrific, what is meant to be a horrific, disgusting world full of perverts, to have this actor in like a, a rubber romper suit and and basically being completely nasty, it kind of works. He is very quickly dispatched as well. He's about to have sex with the with Gerald Bettler's wife and Angie, um, who is dressed as a what's her char- video game character name? <sighs> Blue Bombshell or something, I think. Something like that. Well that was her custom skin because she has various different mm. outfits. Well she's just about to do the nasty when Jared Butler bursts in and quickly breaks the back of Rick and um, that's the last we see of him. Yeah. So I was surprised what small role he had, and I was I was pleasantly surprised. I think. I guess he serves that purpose, and they do mention that he was banned for a month or something, which mm. suggests the player has definitely um, uh, been exploiting even the characters in society more than they're usually uh, exploited. I liked the fact that the the club they went to was called the Thorax. That's like a very evocative name, I think, mm. for a for a club filled with um, they're drinking bugs and cocktails, and there's mm. all kinds of like rubber sets going on. <laughs> all kinds of rubber sets. Ooh, um, are you kink shaming? I'm not kink shaming. I'm saying this film is kink shaming by making these kinks seem more devious than they really are. Mm. But that's the playground that they live in. But the reason why Cable has shown up in society is that during the final battle of Slayers, he's managed to make his way to freedom. He filled up that car with his piss petrol, and he drives away and is sort of like attacked by some big plows which are mopping up body parts. Mm -hmm. But he manages to get through the restricted area. There's an airstrike where there's a big explosion, and he is confirmed as fragged by um, the authorities, although he has actually made his escape and is picked up by the character Trace, played by Alison Lohman, as we mentioned, who was the one delivering him the notes earlier on in the film and giving him an escape plan, because they knew that whatever happened, Castle would make sure that Cable would not survive. So at that point, they uh, deactivated Cable from his link with Simon, so he was literally playing as himself at that point, though incredibly drunk from all the vodka he had previously necked. Um, I like that final stage, though, because it was lots of chest-high walls. It was just rows and rows of mm. chest-high walls, which I don't know whether that was a commentary about how video games um, would be from around that era and beyond, where it's just like, 
everything to cover, everything just happens to be chest high, so you can shoot above it, but also hide behind it. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of the Mass Effect games, but uh, it always just amused me how I keep entering rooms, and you say, what's going to happen here? All I can see is chest high walls, and then, <laughs> and then aliens attacking, like, all right, here we go again. But yes, Cable has made it to the human's base, and uh, they've got some arcade machines. Yeah, second film of the row, set in the near future, but everyone has arcade machines, which are really big. Worth a lot of money today. Yeah, yeah. Playing some air hockey. That's maybe the most dynamically shot game of air hockey I've ever seen. I think this is where my headache began, though. Okay. Because, yes, the camera's all over the effing joint. I mean, the Jared Butler's drive for, on a motorbike to the HQ of humans, it's just him on the back of this other motorbike driven by Trace, but it's it's filmed like they're in a, in a car chase. It's like, they're not being chased. They're yeah. in the clear. <laughs> it's all good. But cool motorcycles. Mm-hmm. But that's where they reveal to Cable what's been going on, what's happened to his wife, and what Castle's big plan is to basically spread nanettes throughout everyone everywhere. Mm. At least that's their hunch. He um, can... Well, he then he, he flats out says it when he monologues later. Yeah. He says he's going to... Control what people vote. Control how what people buy. Yeah. Because um, that's fun to know, isn't it? <laughs> Do, well, what does he get out of it, really? Well, because they could Buy know... my stuff. Buy yeah. lots of my stuff. I... Exactly. It's what Amazon does. Why Ooh. don't... I know. Why don't millionaires just be happy with their lot? <laughs> you know? <laughs> be thankful. So with human's help, Cable enters society. Mm. And this is the point where he he interrupts Rick Grape, as I mentioned earlier. And um, I was just looking back at my notes, and I was quite positive about it a moment ago, but I did... You're reconsidering. I'm reconsidering, because I do remember, I've written here, this the sequence where Rick Grape is is about to um, have sex with, with Angie... I wrote here, this is one of the most upsetting things I've seen. It's the first time I wanted to stop a film I'm watching. <laughs> so I don't know where am I... It's funny how hindsight changes things, doesn't it? Are you pro-Rick Raper or are you anti-Rick Raper? Oh, God, that's, I don't want to answer that <laughs> on, the, um, on the old thing. I don't know. Maybe from this, from this point where I am now, I see its story purpose. But um, I think it just became... Everything became a bit too much, perhaps. I think, yes. I, I think... The reaction that the film wants you to have is one of disgust. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the film is right for making you have that response. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that can be leveled at a lot of the elements of this film. Mm. It's meant to make you feel uncomfortable and queasy. And it's just like, uh, good, you're pushing my buttons, well done. But do I like that? I don't know. <laughs> Do I like this? I don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> um, he rescues his missus, Amber Valletta. Uh, she, I think she does a good job. Um, I think she has some... Her most interesting scenes are when she's out of society, though, when she's trying to get her daughter back. And, you know, looking at this, comparing to, comparing it to the Crank films, the Crank films are just non-stop point A to point B type films and it was interesting to see these directors have 
you know, have characters, a, have <laughs> characters and a story, and is about something. So I kind of, re- I kind of appreciated that, and I appreciated the performances. I think she has a very thankless, dark role, mm. and like I think she does well to, I don't know, maintain some dignity. <laughs> Uh, with that, she does look like completely dead behind the eyes mm. when she's been um, uh, sort of forced to do stuff in the society realm. So I was very happy and relieved when she finally is like saved. It's it's upsetting when you know she is being controlled by this guy who's trying to proposition her actual husband, and she's saying like I love you, but it's not her actually saying it it's the guy controlling her and Mm. like i said it's kind of a shitty black mirror and maybe a film just about her character would be more interesting than action man decides to break out of the action video game by using a lot of action yeah it's imagine if jerry butler's character was like just a simple gardener (laughs) and he breaks out and he's He's forced to do, you know, he's very good action guy, but he's actually not really that in real life. Yeah, I, I, I still don't know whether the Society and the Slayers games work together in this film. I'm not sure either concept is strong enough to make a whole film about, but I'm not sure whether it mixes things up and muddles messages and ultimately makes the film lesser than the sum of its parts by having both um, kind of focusing your attention at the same time. Well, he manages to rescue his missus from society and she manages to get these... uh, She gets the same sort of DNA cure that Jared Butler gets and Michael C. Hall says, oh, he'll come to me. And you know what he does? Yeah, Cable and Angie are saved by Gina, the reporter, who um, I guess is in lead with the humans or knows humans or... or... Maybe she's just a damn good journalist and knows that the good people are the humans. humans. (laughs) (laughs) And they reveal by downloading Cable's memories that he was one of the original test subjects for what then became society. So he had cells already programmed in him, and he was test subject number two, and his memories reveal that he killed test subject number one as a test, um, but was, in doing so, being controlled by Castle. So humans kind of have the evidence that they need to... Was his memory white? Well, I think it was just all stored in brain data. Well, he didn't know he was doing it. Yeah. And the, the... Analysis by uh, humans reveals that. So the whole thing has been... Castle didn't want Tillman to escape the game. Yes, because he He... potentially had memory information that would reveal that he is a bad person. Why didn't he just kill Tillman? Yeah, it, it does seem strange that you would allow... I guess that you would frame... The person who did the crime on your behalf to then enter this prison system game show that you kind of also set up and allow him to get to like 27 victories Mm. 
um, before then trying to put a stop to him. I've kind of missed like the general public. What do they think he did to be on death row? Killed some guy. But like this guy was in a testing facility <laughs> or something. Still a guy. <laughs> you know, I have to admit, I'm not so au fait with who is on death row or not. But I assumed on death row... Is, is just killing a... Oh, this sounds horrible to say, but is just killing a person enough to get you on death row? I guess it depends where you are and how mm. severe and premeditated possibly the crime was. How many Scottish people are on death row? <laughs> like Jared Butler. Well, he does kill a man called Scotch. I noticed that. The thing was, was that him doing a symbolic murdering of his homeland? <laughs> Um, because now he's an American action star. I got an American accent in this movie. Mm, because, I mean, this was only a few years after uh, 300. I don't think he's done anything better than 300. But he's kind of a very Journeyman style he, uh, he action was, gubbins type guy. He was guy. quite good in Coriolanus. That was Ray um, Fine's action mm. movie attempt version of Shakespeare. That mm. was like him actually proper acting. But Is that before or after 300? That was after. Okay. But I guess, I mean, there was a time when it looked like this would be the peak of Jared Butler's action career, but then the Olympus has fallen, mega franchise has taken hold, and um, I guess he's doing pretty well out of that, as well as appearing in classics like Geostorm. (laughs) Yes, Geostorm, Gods of Egypt, (laughs) uh, Movie 43... Something called Machine Gun Preacher. Yep. He voices Stoic and How to Drain How to Drain Your Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> how to Train Your Dragons uh, trilogy. Yeah, you know, I think he's like a perfect a perfect non-entity in that I never go and see a film because he's in it. But if you just need a generic action dude. To look very gruff. On the back of the bots, he is pulling a very sour face. He he's is. really pouty. It's very amusing. I mean, I was about to say he's kind of like a Diet Coke version of Jason Statham. <laughs> but then apparently Jared Butler was was going to be the main guy in Crank, but then that fell through, so Jason Statham got it. So this was a kind of like makeup film for him to be in it, but who knows? He's kind of... He knows, he knows who he is. <laughs> He's Jared Butler. Jared Butler, I know who I am. <laughs> I don't know. Imagine seeing a Jared Butler biopic and you'd have, what I love about biopics about movie stars is that you get to see like recreations of famous sets and things and can imagine some, you know, in a few years time, like Tom, Tom Holland will play Jared Butler in his biopic <laughs> and you'll see recreations of the set of Gamer and um, <laughs> the, mind, the mind boggles it'll just be called Butler oh my god the butler did it the butler did it <laughs> oh, the, oh, I need to see this film now but yes so the humans have used their nanettes reversing technology and saved Angie from being controlled by Avatars, even though players can no longer control avatars if they leave the game realm, they still have that technology inside them, mm. so they manage to reverse that. And, and again, one crucial distinction is 
this game realm is a physical space. It's not like you're uploaded or downloaded to virtual reality. It is, it is a, like a few city blocks or something. Mm. But yes, it's at that point that they reveal that the person who has taken in their daughter is Castle himself. And so that's when Cable heads to Castle HQ, which isn't a castle. <laughs> no, it's a house. <laughs> it's a castle inside a house. It's like Inception. <laughs> so by this time, Castle pretty much states, oh, he doesn't need to go looking for Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler will come to find him. So he uses the character in Car- Cable. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a moment where the mask slips and he starts calling all the... doesn't sort of go into that fourth wall breaking thing when he starts referring to all the cast members. And can you imagine like an actor just saying the full name? Of another actor, and they left it left it in the film. Well, isn't there in Star Wars when Mark Hamill shouts Carrie? Yeah, when he has blown up the Death Star. I don't know. I always hear Har- Hey. <laughs> I was about to say I always hear Harry <laughs> speaking to me. Um, it's not yeah. that full fall breaking in that no. respect. But yes, it's it's the final showdown. I think to demonstrate his mind control abilities, his body control abilities, Michael C. Hall does that dance I was telling you about. What did you think of his dance moves? He's quite a good dancer. I think he's got moves. He's, um, like I said, uh, I saw him in Lazarus. He can sing. He can dance. Mm-hmm. I've got you under I've got you deep in the heart of me So deep in my heart that you're almost a part of me I've got you under my skin I have tried so... It's funny... You see actors give it their all for like the big films and you know people people learn how to actually do ballet dancing and things and you forget that the same amount of effort sometimes gets put into a film called Gamer. <laughs> yeah. And um you know I'm kind of impressed. <laughs> but uh dedication, dedication to the craft, mm-hmm. the craft of acting. And then they do a fight on a basketball court. That's after they've walked through a moonscape. Yeah, you know what? I was writing my notes <laughs> and then I looked up and they were on the moon and I completely missed that transition. <laughs> and I just blinked and went, carry on. Um, I'm assuming then he's got a house like the room in Finders Keepers where there's a moon-themed room. Is that what's happening? Um, A moon-themed room? Well, not in Finders Keepers, but I'm saying he's got a 21st century house with different themed rooms. But in Finders Keepers, they just had the theme was kitchen. <laughs> the theme was bathroom. There was always yeah. there was always one special room yeah, where the theme would the change each room. time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the particular room. I mean, not all not all houses have a moon room. <laughs> I mean, just imagine someone going round to actual Neil Buchanan's house, mm-hmm. and then he'd be like, "Oh yes, we'll take drinks in the moon room." <laughs> Gosh. And like, oh, you know, we're going to have dinner in the dining room. That's the theme. <laughs> it's dining. I know. And let um, me just get stuff from the kitchen. I once saw a 
the window of a news agent's and we did something cute with the local school where kids got to draw their perfect houses and these kids were about five, six years old. And you could tell it was kind of a posh area because one kid put things like two uh, wine cellars. <laughs> like, are you posh little shit? <laughs> two wine cellars? Flipping heck. <laughs> You're a kid. Anyway, so we walk through the moon room to reach the basketball court as that's what happens. Yeah. And then they have a fight, a dance fight. So Hackman's there on the court and uh, Castle sort of monologuing and explaining his grand plan to basically control the world through his little uh, nanos and and fingies. And uh, Castle has reversed the nanets technology uh, that humans also reversed. So he's flipped it back. Basically, he can control Cable once more. Um, but meanwhile, Gina and Trace have escaped being slaughtered by Castle's crew as they stormed the human's base. I think they found where that was through looking through Angie's avatar eyes because they storm her player's game dungeon, man cave, whatever you want to call it. But they managed to get out and they have re-established a link between Simon and Cable and also they're now broadcasting to the world. Yes, that's what which they is do. what you do in these kind of movies. I know. Access the Hatterlight sat at the Hatterlight. <laughs> uh, you know, all the technology, make sure every advertising billboard and screen is now projecting this one image. I, I just I know I should be feeling optimistic at the start of a new decade, but I kind of feel that these endings don't really work for me anymore where you can videotape some CEO saying something bad and that immediately shuts down their this empire. There's um, the Adjustment Bureau. Yeah. Uh, did you see that? And in that film, Matt Damon's playing a potential senator, maybe future president. Right. And... There is the whole adjustment that needs to be made is that there is some footage of him beating someone up in a bar mm-hmm. for, well, I think he even just like just punches someone in a bar who's been like rude about his family or, or something. I don't know. But it's very cute that someone who threw a punch at someone could possibly lose being a potential presidential candidate mm. in this day and age when far worse has to happen, be it president or prime minister i mean you could be caught on tape discussing potentially having someone being beaten up uh, having a journalist being beaten up and mm. and still be considered a-ok as a prime minister but um i mean furthermore if i'm not saying that mike Z- mark zuckerberg has sort of put nanos in everyone and is going to control them like zombies but if this was discovered and then Jared Butler told, like, a subordinate, just shut off Facebook. Like, what happens in this film, Jared Butler tells uh, a hench person just to turn off this game everyone uses. People would freak out. Does he say... Because he just says, shut it off. Yeah. The nanets set us free. Is he talking about the whole world? Or is he just talking about him and his family? I, I take it to mean he, having defeated Michael C. Hall, spoilers, he defeats him. He instructs some lackey. He's instructs some because how business works is if you murder the CEO, you take over because <laughs> he's now the CEO. 
Yeah, because um, they're all sat there. Castle is just about to be stabbed because Simon is now controlling Cable and forcing the knife into him, going against what he thought he was programming Cable to do. And his lackeys just sort of sit there with their iPads. Mm-hmm. And when Castle gets stabbed, they just go, oops. <laughs> should, have, should have stepped in there. <laughs> but then they are, they are then ordered by um, Jared Butler to shut off society and shut off Gamer. Uh, Slayers. Slayers, I should say. Which means that I'm assuming loads of people who should be on death row are now running around the streets. <laughs> Again, all the people addicted to society, they're going to lose what they want to do. I mean, when Twitter goes down for half an hour, people lose their minds. But it's shutting off the nanites, so it's not like, oh, suddenly all the prison cells get unlocked. It just means that, oh, maybe this Slayer game, you know, death row inmates will just go back to being on death row or, you know, they're no longer controlled by players. And, yeah, I mean... Sucks for the society avatars, I suppose. Mm. Um, but hey, maybe we you know, digital go... detox. Digital... That's what that's what we all need, isn't it? Little digital detox. It's just, why don't we just play paintball? I mean, why doesn't everyone? Why does people have to die? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Why does everyone have to die? <laughs> Make love, not war. The final shot of this film is the family driving into a tunnel, which seemed to be just clipped in there because there was no real good ending shot. I couldn't work out, because we'd seen footage from that earlier, which I thought was a flashback, but I guess was him having a vision of their happy life together? Or maybe that was a chilling flashback and that was just dropped in the end, because it just says, game over, insert coin, as soon as they go into the tunnel. So maybe they just, maybe it's not actually a tunnel, maybe it's like Roadrunner... Or Wiley Coyote had like mm. painted a fake tunnel and actually they smash into it and they die. It's just strange. Did it actually say insert coin? Yeah. It's not that sort of game. <laughs> they don't know that. Mm. So, gamer. I still... Gosh, we sound really indecisive. I still don't know how much I feel about this. Because I did really enjoy what it was... You know, the world... what The questions it was asking... But it didn't really, as I say, have any real interest in answering them. Some of the kinetic photography I really enjoyed. I mean, the first big action sequence I thought was very kinetic and disorientating in a good way. But the more it went on, I found the more difficult it was. Um, And maybe that's because more things happened in the action than before. But um, I, I think I appreciated it more than enjoyed it. Is it worth a watch? I, I think it just about is. Again, I give I give films a lot of elbow room room on this podcast, and I think it is worth. If anything, it's kind of proof that exploitation films, that B movies, do often ha- can have things to say. I mean, oftentimes you find these B movies, like John Carpenter makes a lot of B movies, like They Live is like a b-movie sort of masterpiece also starring keith david who makes an appearance <laughs> as a policeman here he's in he's there's a scene he's interrogating logan lerman's character who is wearing a t-shirt with crank written on it <laughs> at that point nice yeah i mean a b a b movie a low 
budget B movie can still say a lot, at least at least make you think. And I didn't expect to be thinking about things in this <laughs> film. It became quite difficult to think by the end of the film, but there was thinking, which is which is more than could be said for a lot of the films we cover. Yes, I a film which this reminds me of, which I like a great deal despite my sins, is Southland Tales which is very much a snapshot of a certain era. It became sort of instantly dated, I think, within six months of its eventual release. But it plays on the sort of, like, Bush-era, Iraq war styles of, like, fears and satire, um, all mixed in with very strange time travel split personality, twin identity, uh, the rock <laughs> <laughs> stuff. I don't know. It's it's a very peculiar movie, but it has a very specific tone and ideas behind it. And it's not 100% successful in the slightest. And I think... I just remember you really insisting that me and Hamish, our brother, watch it. Yes. And we were kind of reluctant to watch it. And you were saying, no, 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 it's, it's trash, but it's good. And we both felt like we didn't like it very much at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I, I sort of, I think it's a very fascinating film. Um, maybe not so much in the watching. I don't know. I really enjoyed watching it, but it's, there's just a lot to it. And I think this film has a lot to it, just in a different way. But my feelings of it... I don't know, sort of something similar. I mean, if you wanted something along these lines, which is more traditionally entertaining, you'd watch something like The Running Man. Um, I can't believe we've gone this far and not mentioned The Running Man, because this is so much The Running Man. Yeah. And there's even like a prison where people escape. And I don't know what quite happens. I was expecting his head to explode when he crossed the perimeter, but he seems to just be jump projected into space. <laughs> he was just sprung up and went to, and went on forever. We didn't even see him land. Yeah. Oh yeah, I wasn't too sure. What a terrifying prison (laughs) system. So yeah, it it's like that's going to deliver a more conventional and probably more entertaining viewing experience. But I think this film is still more interesting than it needed to be, but I think also more off putting disorientating as well. Yeah. Well, I'd I'd also say off-putting in terms of the content. (laughs) Yes. As well as the way it's depicted. Um, Then perhaps it should be. I think there's something... There's an interesting film in there and maybe if some of the stuff, some of the rougher edges were sanded down, I'm not saying like, oh, it's too edgy, but I think it's just more palatable if some of those elements were just a little bit softened so it wasn't just so relentless and um you know leaving such a sour taste <laughs> in your mouth i mean after like the sixth or seventh gratuitous tit shots where people are just lifting it's they're just they're just flashing aren't they it's not um it's not like it's set on a nude beach for a good story reason it is just a lot of flashing <laughs> and yes you can tell when that's done not for story purposes we live in society we visit society. I mean, which one's which one's more real, really? I mean, which one's really real? You know what I mean? 
So I, it's it's definitely a snapshot of something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely... What am I even looking at? It's, it's some sort of distillation of all these elements coming together and I'm not sure what comes out at the end is really that pleasant. But <laughs> I, I kind of appreciate it. I, I think if you want the Neville Dean Taylor thing, I would recommend Crank over yes. this. No, this, sure. is my, this is my third favourite. I've not seen their Ghost Rider movie. Is it any good? I haven't either, but I, I don't hear strong things. Yeah. yeah, well, out of Crank 2, Crank 1, and this, I prefer the other two films more. Sure. But I think for someone looking for an action film that plays around with video gamey ideas in a way that isn't, like, mocking of video game culture, or... I don't know, I, I think it understands, mm. and that, the representation sure. of video games in this film is done fairly effectively um yeah it does feel i mean it's funny I, I don't know how much gamer culture has evolved in the last 10 years i i am i'm i want to say it has a lot but so therefore i feel this film was very predictive of gamer culture yeah and i i think it still is quite up to date in terms of the elements that um it includes maybe not so much in terms of political correctness mm. or, you know, what is considered acceptable um, humour and and such. But I think at least it's uh, concepts and the way it depicts video games and the uh, surrounding culture of it is uh, still fairly pertinent, even um, 10 or so years later. Pertinent is the word for gamer. <laughs> I'm not sure. I've seen, I'm not sure I've seen a poster for a movie which just says pertinent. <laughs> well, we're a podcast which does movies based on video games, video games based on movies, and all that in between. So I think gamer is definitely, if for its title alone, pertinent. Yes. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I enjoyed having. I enjoyed finally getting around to seeing gamer, and um, we'll see how pertinent it is in the decades to come yep. this film is forever it is for us because we've got two copies of it on physical dvd yeah. media coming soon to a charity shop near you <laughs> <laughs> well what are we going to be covering next which i believe is our 50th episode yes we've hit episode 50 and as it is a special occasion we are finally <laughs> going to tackle one of the most significant films in the video game movie canon. We are going to be looking at Super Mario Brothers. Mm. This is also probably the biggest plumber-based movie <laughs> of all time. Um, and also you said brothers, not bros, because I always read bros. I guess, uh, well, I don't know. That's something to be discussed. I'll certainly research that in this episode. <laughs> plumber-based movies. I guess the other big Bros movie is After the Screaming Stops. Oh, that's such a good... I was going to say film. It I'll is. Say film. It is a film. I've it got is a, a film. I've got it on DVD. Yeah, Super uh, Mario Bros After the Screaming Stops. <laughs> and yes, it's quite... Gosh, you know, there is another Mario movie in the pipeline, an animated one, so... In the pipeline, indeed. Oh, my God! Plumbing jokes. Wow. Anyway, we'll be plumbing the depths of uh, that film next time but in the meantime how can people keep up with us you can find more information about games on film on our website gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast 
There are also links there for more information about video game movies in general, as well as ways you can support the show, either by gifting us copies of wonderful video game movies on our Amazon wishlist, or through Kofi, co-fi, where you can throw us a little bit of change, which helps us to uh, support the show. You can also find us on various social media channels. We are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, we are on Instagram, we are on Nanets, we are on Slayers, we are on Society. Oh, some of oh those aren't real. Um, you can find us at GamesOnFilmPod. You can email us, GamesOnFilmPod at gmail.com. And you can also find all episodes of the podcast on the website as well as soundcloud.com slash GamesOnFilmPod. And our podcast is available on Spotify, Acast, Player FM, Apple Podcasts. You know, wherever you can listen to us, we'll be there. And please like, rate, review, and subscribe, and share with anyone who might be interested in video game movies. Mm. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. I am on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And do you have anything to plug? Um, I'm doing comedy um, again this year. <laughs> I do it every year, but I'm still doing it. Um, yeah, so look for Harry Steele, comedian on uh, Bing, if that's what you use. Bing? <laughs> Bing. <laughs> Haven't heard that for a while. Uh, or Google or Yahoo or something. Lycos, Ask Jeeves. That, all that stuff. And you can also use those same search engines and look up Gamer Disco. Uh, that's video game and music club nights taking a place in London. And our next event is on 5th of February at the Queen of Hoxton. So please do come and join us then for games and music and more good times. Well, lovely, lovely, lovely. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Stay safe. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Don't slay anyone. Don't slay anyone. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. I've got no strings, so I have fun. I'm not tired of anyone they've got strings but you can see there are no strings on me